Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So turn with me to the book of Acts. And as you get there, I want to clarify something from last week. Remember how I just said a minute ago that I'll apologize for a lot of things? Um, I know that sometimes I'll get up here and like get in a tangent or something like that. And sometimes I'll leave out some important information. And I'm not really sure which service I may or may not have left this out. So I want to clarify something. When we were talking about last week, you remember, how many of you were here last week? Okay, too many people. Uh, it's usually like a high turnover. There's usually only like a couple of people who are actually stay. It's just like new people every week. Um, but uh, if you were here last week, we talked about um, in that prophetic word, we talked about Judah and Israel coming back together. Um, and, and suddenly there's this language about the reunification of these people. And I talked about how there was an unprecedented disinterest in doctrinal division. You remember that point? Some of you still have it written on your hand because it was Sharpie and you were like, this is all I have. It's just going to be here a while. So I want to clarify something because I had some questions afterward about the, 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 the forfeiture of doctrine and, uh, and some concern like, hey, Zach, well, aren't we not supposed to, you know, let truth go? And that is true. I want to just clarify it with this one statement. We do not forfeit doctrine for the sake of unity with each other. Okay. I'm going to say it one more time. We do not, we cannot, we must not forfeit doctrine for the sake of unity with each other. We forfeit doctrine for unity with the Father. Okay, there's a big difference here. And what we've seen is that doctrinal, uh, doctrinal stances have become stumbling blocks, not just in the way of us relating to each other, that's there, but in the way of us actually knowing the Father the way that Jesus wants us to know him. And we get so hung up on dogma and, and theology that we often lose our way on the actual way of Jesus Christ. And so this is not about like, well, let's like, you know, let's let some doctrine slide so that we can just, you know, be in agreement with people who, you know, don't have the same convictions as us. That's not really what this is about. This is about growing closer to the Father. And as we grow closer to the Father and others are forfeiting certain doctrines to get closer to the Father, and then people on this side are forfeiting doctrines to get closer to the Father, what we find is that we end up closer to each other. It's kind of like marriage counseling when you say, just go closer to God and then you'll grow closer to each other. It's the same kind of thing, but among the church. Is, does that clear that up? Good, okay. Acts chapter two. Uh, anybody know what happens in Acts chapter 2? Y'all ain't ready for this. It's like 2,000 years late, but I want to I go here because I think that some things that we take for granted, some things we get really used to, kind of like uh, Yuza in the presence of God reaching out and, and stabilizing the ark and, and, and really being struck dead because of it in the Old Testament. We see in the New Testament, um, there's uh, some patterns and some paradigms. And some of this is just, we're going to break a little bit of this down. And then some of it is, there's a piece in here that I feel like was more of sort of a prophetic thing that the Lord wanted to bring through the message today. So first and foremost, we're going to skip 
the, uh, the upper room thing, and we're going to move out onto the streets. And if you remember what happens, the, the Spirit of God is poured out just like Joel said it would happen, and tongues of fire came down on every head. They started speaking in tongues. They rushed down the stairs. They're out in the streets, and people start looking at them like, you're crazy. And I want to pick up right there in verse 14, okay? But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven... I'm going to stop right there because I could probably do a whole message just right here. Peter taking his stand with the 11. There's two things here that are sort of um, uh, revelational for Peter. Number one, that he's taking his stand. And number two, that he's doing it with the 11. If you know Peter, if you know Peter's story... He is, uh, he is sort of marked by an impetuousness that ends up very often throughout the Gospels getting him in trouble. If you're not familiar with story with, with Peter, sometimes his, his, uh, sometimes his rogue thing was good. It was cool. It presents us with like radical leaps of faith. It was Peter that, that says to the Lord, uh, when Jesus is walking on water, he says, hey, call me out there. If you can do it, I can do it. And Jesus says, okay, come on out. And he actually steps out onto the water, Peter, taking his stand, but leaving the 11 behind. There are places where we see Peter, uh, you know, when, when Jesus is, um, is explaining to his disciples, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be crucified according to the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm going to be hung on this cross and I'm going to die this terrible death. And Peter stands up and actually rebukes the Lord, taking his stand leaving the 11 behind. Then there were other times when, you know, he, uh, he didn't take his stand. He backed into the crowd. Peter tragically is famous for his epic denying of Jesus three times on the night that it mattered the most. And I want to talk about that for just one second. It says he takes his stand, and I think that if you can take anything before you sneak out of here today, it's time for believers to take their stand. If you're struggling with denial of your faith, and, and I don't just mean like an inward denial, I mean like there are spheres and rooms and cubicles and offices and classrooms and, and, and dinner tables and places where you, uh, you wrestle with whether or not you can speak up about who you follow and why, then at the root of that, you're still wondering if you're better off without him. Just call it what it is. If you have not solidified that to a place where you can unashamedly talk about the savior of your soul and the sealer of your eternity, you're still wondering, there's a part of you that's wondering if you're better off without him, like the part that's in this room right now, like the part that's out around the fire in the courtyard of the very people who are getting ready to crucify him. I'm wondering if right now I'm better off not having a connection to Jesus, not having a relationship with Jesus. And the reason why I want to call that out kind of harshly is because the word does not mince truth. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Well, that wasn't just the one time that you like whispered at an altar 
Jesus, come into my heart. I accept your forgiveness of sins. And whatever else that guy is saying, I agree. Amen. Guys, that's not what confess with your mouth means. Confess with your mouth is this sort of active, present engagement where your mouth is in the constant state of confession of who your faith is in. Amen? There's like seven people that are like, it's good word, Zach. It's a good word. In Matthew 10, Jesus is really, it's really clear here. He says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. Hey, fortunately, I'm not preaching on that passage today, but I'm preaching on this one. And Peter taking his stand with the 11, there's something incredible that's unfolding here. And we see a man who, who uh, not long ago, again, goes down in history as the most epic denier. But he takes his stand, remembering. I think, I think as, as that rooster is crowing in the background, I think all the stuff that Jesus said, it comes flooding back to him about how real and important and necessary it is, how imperative it is that believers believe out loud. That confession is not something that we do privately in a closet with a priest. Confession is something that we walk down the streets with. It's something that we walk out our lives with. It's something that we go to work with and go to bed with. It's sobering to think that if we deny him, he denies us. But saints, at the end of the day, Jesus died a public death. Our flesh needs to die a public death too. Don't try to figure out how to make it cool. That's like my best advice. Stop trying to figure out how to make it cool. All we've done is come up with really, really weak marketing for a subpar move. And it's just, it's not cutting it. Stop trying to steal the, the one-liners of the world and fit Jesus in. If you have a Got Jesus sticker on the back of your car, peel it off because it's dumb. It, doesn't, it, 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 it does not speak to the essence of our desperation. Got milk? Got Jesus? He's so refreshing after an Oreo. How does it work? Stop. Stop trying to make it cool. It's supposed to put us to death. Our confession is to put us to death. Our flesh needs to die. I don't know if anybody's coming back after this week. But I'm going to tell you, it gets better than this. <laughs> she says it's worth it. Uh, John and I forget where our paycheck comes from sometimes. No, we don't. It comes from the Lord. Jesus died a public death, and you should too. That's all I want to say. If you're writing things down, write it down. He didn't die in private. It was on display. And the things that we go without, the things that we surrender over, the things that we forfeit and forsake in this world should be done so publicly. Not, so, not from some holier-than-thou, spiritual pride, shake-it-in-somebody's-face kind of thing, but from a, a, a stance that says, this is who I follow, this is who I am, this is who I've become one with. 
This is Jesus. And the second part, so he's taking his stand, but he also says, with the 11, and I love this. Peter could go rogue sometimes, and I can relate to that. He actually, in, in doing so, in some of these things, yes, we see these cool, like, like uh, on Tuesday night, we talked about when Jesus shows up on the beach, and when, when they cast out the nets, and they realize it was the Lord, and, and while everybody else is like, let's row the boat back, Peter's like, to heck with this, and he throws on his thing, and he jumps over the, over the boat to swim to Jesus. There were times when, when Peter stepped out because what, what he was surrounded with would, would have held him back. But there were other times when he stepped out and, and actually became counterproductive to the kingdom. I think of that, that move in, in the garden when you know, the, they come to arrest Jesus and Peter takes out his sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear and Jesus has to rebuke him. Get behind me, Satan. Well, that's not what anybody that's, you know, so faithful to go out and defend Jesus. That's not what you want to hear. But this is what happens when we leave the 11. This is what happens when we, what we forfeit is not just and forsake is not just our flesh, but it's the balancing out that happens when we walk together with other believers. Peter taking his stand with the 11, he had, he had rediscovered the importance of walking with the people that Jesus had him walking with. And saints, I, I cannot stress that enough. That when we humble ourselves enough to walk with the 11, it will render us at our full potential. Zach, you don't know. They're holding me back. No, what they're holding back is the part of you that's going to miss it if it's not held back. Zach, this group, I just, I can't operate in all my gifts. Okay, that's okay too. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to operate in all your gifts all at the same time, all in the same small group. Let the 11 hold you back. Let, let the people that God has, ha, has brought up alongside of you, let them speak into your life. Stop always trying to be the one that's got the answer. Taking his stand, that has to happen too. With the 11. Let's keep going. So he raised his voice and declared to them, and this is Peter's very first sermon, and it's awesome. I'm going to read it to you. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. For it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Let's stop right there. This is sort of the, um, the part that may not feel as exegetical as um, most of our messages are here. Uh, but as I read that, I, I felt the Lord put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. And I was like, God, that's not really what this is about. Anyway, anybody said that to the Lord when he's like trying to speak to you in scripture and you're like, nah, nah, God, I've read this before. I know what this is about. I saw the Lord, he kind of he stopped me right here when Peter's saying, for these men are not drunk as you suppose. And I, I almost felt a little bit of the, the grievance of the Holy Spirit to say that 
just because that 120 men and women that came out of that upper room, just because they weren't drunk as people thought they were, doesn't mean that today people are not abusing the Holy Spirit. And I felt like the Lord, and I'm not even going to go as deep as this was because it was like, whoa, there was so much. It was like a nine-part series, and I don't do series. So I was like, Lord, let's see if we can fit it into this one point. Just because I said that, now there's probably going to be a series on it. Alcohol abuse is like the abuse of the Holy Spirit. And I want to take my time through this for just a few minutes here because I, I see this move among spirit-filled people where we have lost a little bit of the real purpose behind the original outpouring. And I can't tell you all the ways we've gotten it wrong because it's too many to count. But as I was praying through this and I was like, God, what are you, what are you trying to say here? Like Peter's saying they're not drunk as you suppose. And the Lord was like, today, today, there is a, there is a church that stays drunk on the Holy Spirit. Now, if you grew up in Pentecostal tradition, that wasn't a bad thing. That was like if you spent the night down at the altar in the presence of God and you, you were just under so much glory that you couldn't see straight or walk straight. And, um, you know, they were doing like breathalyzer tests in the lobby before they let you get in your No, they weren't. But, but I remember drunk on the Holy Spirit was not a bad thing when I grew up. But as I heard the Lord this time around, it felt like the Lord was pointing out some things. And one of them is... In the same way that uh, alcoholics abuse alcohol for a couple of reasons, and I want to talk through these for a second, but the first one was to numb pain. To numb pain. And I want to, I want to go here for a second, and I, and I hope that we can let this sink in, because I believe that even if you are not necessarily like baptized in the Holy Spirit and don't necessarily uh, identify yourself with the craziness of, you know, the spirit-filled, charismatic Pentecostal movement, I believe that still, sometimes we abuse the Holy Spirit by limiting his function to the numbing of our pain. Sometimes we get caught up in celebrating that he's here instead of submitting to his healing. Sometimes we, we can sing. Sometimes just the goosebumps are enough of a distraction. Sometimes if we can get in the thick of something that, that has a strong enough appeal and pull to it, that our, motion, our emotion, our heart, the brokenness in our, in our lives um, starts to be numbed by that feeling by whatever else, the, 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 the energy in the room or, or the, the, the sound that happens when an entire church joins together to sing or to worship, or sometimes when, when a, a man or woman of God in your life drops that one-liner and you write it on a sticky note and you stick it to your dashboard and your mirror and wherever else you're gonna see it so that you can keep masking something that has gone unhealed because you have gone unsubmitted. We're living in a time, saints, when we no longer have the luxury to only celebrate that he's here. We must submit to his healing. That's why the emphasis on soul care. That's why 
the emphasis on, on getting into a, a soul study and letting the Lord minister to the deep places and cleaning out the clutter and making space for the Lord and, and, and all of the, the revolving door of, of forgiveness. That's why. Because simply going to the Holy Spirit so that, so that we don't have to feel. And by the way, I do believe that a part of the Holy Spirit is a part of what he does. A side effect of drawing closer to the Lord is that some of the old feelings and some of the old emotions fall off of us. But it is an abuse of his power to limit his function to that role in our lives. The next thing is to escape a reality. I don't have to think about what's going on at home. Sometimes I see this in um, big, powerful um, moves, uh, ministries, and different things like that. There's sort of this, this place where we, we will keep showing up. Sometimes it's every time the doors are open, we keep showing up. And it's not just to check a box. It's because we really do want an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But it's because it shifts our reality temporarily. And again, instead of actually allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he shows up in our life to do, which is to sanctify and to heal and to uh, regenerate whatever it is that's broken in other facets of our life, we, we move towards the one facet where we feel him first and most. I've heard people say over the years, um, Zach, I deal with anxiety or I deal with depression or I deal with fear and the only freedom I get from it is the two hours that I'm in this room on a Sunday morning. There's a part of me that's like, yes, that's awesome. There's a part of me that's like, whoa, like I love that. There's a, I've heard people come in and they say, uh, Zach, I have this pain in my shoulder or in my knee. And, and when I stand on it for too long, it, I ju it just aches, except for when I stand in worship. And I could stand all day in worship. And the Lord started to convict me of how much I love that. Because it's... it's building a wall and separating and segregating drawing a distinction between where the Holy Spirit can let us escape our reality and the reality we have to go back to. Saints, we need a reality that extends into every facet of where we are. I think sometimes people, and it's not just alcohol, substance abuse, pornography, I think we, we gravitate towards addictions, yes, to numb pain, also to escape a reality. Escapism is a word. I, I don't even know when it was coined, but the, 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 the connection to the psychological effort of actually finding some virtual identity or some online um, life that exists be, be outside of the one you have. Tragically, we have learned that lesson from culture and we have brought it into the church and we have allowed ourselves to create a separate reality where the presence of God changes how we feel and what we say and how we talk and, and our response mechanisms and everything else. And then we go back. Right. Nothing really changes. It's an abuse of what he's really given for. You know, uh, you've probably heard a message in here before um, where 
the Holy Spirit is, is talked about like a down payment um, for a bride. It's like a ring. It's a, it's a, it's Arabon, I think is the word, the Greek word for it. And it, it would have been, um, the initial installment, the engagement piece that says, um, this bride now belongs to this husband. I know some of y'all like feminists in here, you're going to struggle with that kind of wording, um, but you'll be all right. It's going to get, it's going to get harder for you actually in the, the next few minutes. Um, but I, I want to be a bride that's owned by my groom. I want to be that bride that has this ring and it doesn't come off because if I wear this ring only during the times that I'm with everybody else and with him in this height of, you know, spiritual presence and glory, and then I go somewhere else, anywhere else ever and take this off, it's a different reality. It's a false reality. It's a life where I'm denying that I need him as much as I do, that I am not my own, but that I belong to him. So to numb pain, to escape a reality. And last, the last thing I just want to point out is just to have a good time. I think some of us, we have found that, uh, you know, we can't have a good time unless there's alcohol involved. I can't enjoy my evening unless I've had a couple glasses of wine. I'm not really preaching about alcoholism this morning, but the abuse of the Holy Spirit, there's something about this where, again, we relegate him to, uh, to serving a selfish purpose. And our good time in the Lord, again, I'm not saying that it's all supposed to be this ho-hum and you know, Eeyore thing where it's like doom and gloom all the time. That's this fault. You know me. Hopefully you know me. You know my heart. That that is not what this is about. But we've abused the Holy Spirit. And because, especially in this country, I've been to other places around the world and ministered in other cultures. And there, there is this unique thing about Americans where we're not just addicts of substances. We're addicts of entertainment. And when certain passions are petted and certain appetites are whetted, we keep coming back. And church becomes this place like everything else that we go to uh, to meet this need, this longing to be entertained. And some of y'all are like, well, it's the screens and the lights and that sound system or whatever it is. No, it's not. It's you. It's you. It has nothing to do. I could have the Rockettes up here doing high kicks for Jesus, and he would love it. But we would think it was for us. We'd be having a good time, a good old time. And saints, this is the problem. It's never been the screens. It's never been the lights any more than it was when Jesus used the boat and the lake as an amplification system for his own voice. The problem is not that something's entertaining. The problem is that we want to be entertained. I see that hand. I've heard people in here over the years 
and they'll say something like this, like, oh, because you're talking about this, you've really, you've really got the Holy Spirit, you've really got the anointing. No, it's just that your pet project was stroked in the message. That's what it is. Like, I, 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 love, getting, um, I love getting encouraging emails, but I also know when I, the email is because, like, I finally got up on your high horse with you. And you're like, it's about time. Like, and I'm back off next week. Uh, again, we all fall into this. We all, we all do it, you know? And it's like whatever stream we're in, whatever, whatever vein we're in, whatever's important to us in this five minutes, you know, when we hear another believer talking about it or when we hear a pastor preaching on it or whatever, and we'll go and seek out those podcasts and those YouTubes and those, those church leaders um, who are speaking that thing, not because it's what we need to hear, it's because it entertains us. It's because, and not entertained like sit back and watch a movie, but it entertains in that it, it, it whets the appetite and pets that passion that, that makes us feel like what we think is important really is important. And again, don't misunderstand me to say that any of these things are not important. Like, I don't want to be in a church where the Spirit of God isn't moving and where people aren't sensitive to that. I don't want to be in a church where, where people aren't allowed to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be in a Like, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong here. I believe we just have to feel, be, be really careful that this isn't just about what makes us feel good, what entertains us. And I'm not even using, like, the consumer Christianity thing I, because I think it's cliche. I think that sometimes we immediately write that off because we're not a seeker-friendly church. Well, people raise their hands here, and people come down, and there's, like, altar calls and stuff that makes people uncomfortable. So we're not a seeker-friendly church, so I can check that box that this isn't consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity can be right in the crucible of the presence of God. That's not just like the churches that are like waving gay flags to make the community feel better about not being ostracized by them. Consumer Christianity can be in the, in the, the deepest heart of the most prophetic and anointed movement there is. The one where all the super spiritual people are like, yes, we just have to be careful. If our flesh is being put to death daily, it's a good start because the pieces of us that want to be entertained will make way for the pieces of us that want to feel convicted, that want to be transformed. Oh, Lord, help us. All right, so if you were getting those again to numb pain, if you're writing things down, the Holy Spirit is not to deaden the nerve, it's to deepen the need. Those open places, those, those raw places that chafe and you keep going from place to place. Uh, again, I think a lot of our, our shuffling from church to church to church to church, it comes back to an open nerve somewhere in our lives. And we want to be in a place that deadens that nerve instead of deepens the need for healing. And as soon as that open nerve gets touched or gets chafed or gets offended, we're off to the next place to deaden it again. The Lord is not interested in you feeling numb. He is interested in healing the broken things that are in you. All right, so we have to keep going. 
I'm going to read you this message, and especially where Peter quotes the prophet Joel. And I feel like I've preached on this before, so if anything's redundant, just stop me. Verse 17, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Verse 21 says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what the Holy Spirit is for. It's not to entertain you. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to give you some separate identity where your weirdness isn't as weird. It's so your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's so you'll be given dreams and visions so the Father can speak to us. We are given his Holy Spirit and Jesus goes through a laundry list of things the Holy Spirit is really for. And I'm not, I'm not even gonna dive deep into all of that, but if you read through this message and you recognize the prophetic voice that called forth the initial outpouring, the day of Pentecost as it happened, it was not just so people would prophesy, it was so that the prophetic utterance of the bride of Jesus would bring about the calling on the name of the Lord so that people will get saved. Yes. That's where it ends. That's what it's for. That Greek word, esomai, right there, and it shall be. What it means is that this is supposed to follow the preceding events. Everything leading up to this is a means to an end that people would call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And I wonder how it is that a church now that can be filled with the Holy Spirit, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is not leading a world to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That is a different spirit. That is an abuse of the original intent of this power. If you're writing things down, <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit is not to pacify a weak believer it's to purify a warrior bride the work of the Holy Spirit is not to pacify a weak believer it's to purify a warrior bride Zach this isn't about a bride you're always making it about a bride let me tell you something it's about a bride, okay? It's all about it. Find a page that's not about it. It's not in it. It's all about it. Ephesians 4, we see the fivefold gifts laid out. We, we reorg our whole church back in January around these fivefold gifts so that we can, can uh, 
build some infrastructure around ministries, some trellis for all the fruit to grow on that's happening here. But if you follow it all the way through, it says all of these gifts are for what? So that the church can grow up into the full stature of Jesus Christ. The full stature means this, nothing's missing. Nothing's missing. Can I say it like this? No one's missing. The fivefold gifts are given so that no one is missing from the bride. That's why all of this prophetic stuff, all of this outpouring, all of these tongues and everything else, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. I'm going to close with this because I never looked this word up. Uh, it's epikaleo. And this phrase, everyone who calls, seems simple enough, doesn't it? But you want to know what that word, epikaleo, the, the, the very first rendering, translation of that word is not someone who calls on a name, but it's someone who permits themselves to be called by a name. I told you. I told you. Jamal, come on up here. Help me out. Let's stand to our feet. Everyone who permits themselves, in fact, it's this, it's who permits themselves to be surnamed. Wow. And if I can make it real for us this morning, the ones who are saved are not just because you called out Jesus in a foxhole somewhere when your life was going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. The ones who are saved, the ones who experience real deliverance the way that it was intended to be, are the ones who allow their name to be changed. Yes, sir. The ones who take yes, on the name of Jesus. Yes, sir. I mean, I, this was a few years ago, and somebody was like, you know, the word Christian is so abused. We're going to stop calling ourselves Christians. We're going to start calling ourselves Christ followers. Amen. No, not amen. The word Christian is abused, just like alcohol is abused. Ooh, I can't follow that too far. <laughs> but there's, there's something weird about moving to Christ follower. Because who you follow doesn't always change who you are. Who you follow, some of y'all followed a diet plan for a while. It didn't change who you were. It just changed how angry you were most days. Yeah. <laughs> I've been angry since Nikki J's had me on this plan. It's like coffee, just coffee around the clock. Thanks, Nick. I, uh, I sense the grace of the Father calling us back not just to, to call on his name, but to be called by his name. To be a bride whose name is changed. Where we're, we're, we're not just going to identify ourselves as who we always were and now we're just following a new path. No. This is about becoming one with Jesus. This is about taking on the name 
of Jesus. That's what I like about Christians. That's what I like about that, that, that it, it, we have a new identity. It's not Zach who prays to God. It's the bride of Jesus. Becoming one with her groom. Epikaleo. Lord, help us. Everyone who permits themselves to be called by a different name. I've noticed now, too, that people don't use husband and wife anymore. They use partner. Did you notice that? People are like, and uh, maybe you've heard that, maybe not, but it's this, it's this, it's, it's a, it's a way of escaping covenant. How can I numb my re, my reality? How can I treat my pain? How can I remain entertained without really having to take upon myself something that's really going to change me? If you're in this room this morning and you've been struggling with something that you haven't been delivered from, that you haven't been saved from, that you haven't, that you, that you don't feel free from, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come down here this morning. There's something that you're struggling with and you're like, man, I've cried out to God. Man, I've prayed so many prayers. I've cried so many tears. Man, this guy says surrender. I try to surrender. I'm going to tell you what Joel said, what Peter said. And what the Holy Spirit says, put the name of Jesus on it. Put the name of Jesus on it. Put the name of Jesus on it. Stop trying to be yourself and think that because you call out to the Lord, because you are in need of some help, guess what? You were born in need of some help and you're going to yeah. die in need of yeah. some help. What changes us is when we take on the name the name that is above every name, yeah. the only name by which men are saved. Yeah. It's not just about crying out to Jesus. The Lord in his grace might, might have let that work at one point in your life, but part of maturing and part of growing, part of coming into the full stature means that the things that were missing from the equation get added back. It means the things that the name of Jesus was held away from the places where you've denied him, the places where you've abused his presence in order to numb some pain in your life and you achieve the desired results, so you checked a box. The Holy Spirit was poured out so that this isn't about you anymore. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus getting what he wants. If you're one of those wives in here and you kept your last name, see me after class. I've got some paperwork I need you to fill out. Because that's been the church. We've wanted to keep our last name. 
We've wanted to keep that identifying factor that holds a piece of us back from the one who we were to be one with. And for those at this altar this morning, is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? I want to make sure that our prayer team has an opportunity to get around you before you leave here today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. This is not a condemnation thing. This is a you can be free thing. Because of Jesus. I ask our prayer team to step out, please, and pastors, would you come? I want to get around everybody at this altar. And I want to apply the name of Jesus. This is the formula. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who permits themselves to be called by the name of Jesus will be saved, will be delivered, as some of your Bibles say. somebody maybe you're down here already but I feel like there's somebody and and this is the way the enemy works right this is the way shame and condemnation work we uh we we struggle with making the connection from Jesus to the addiction or to the brokenness or to the bondage to the jail cell we struggle with it because it's too nasty it's too dirty it's too gross and so it stayed in a dark corner and we keep hoping to come in and experience the holy spirit and then go back and and really our heart is that that dark corner is just not there anymore like we th this is like i've been here okay this is like how our psychology works we keep coming in and we're hoping that when we come in one of these days i'm going to experience god in a way that a tornado just rips that dark closet off the side of my house and when I go home it's not there but that's not really how it works how it works is the presence of God the name of Jesus has to be brought back there in the same way that all the nasty sin of the world had to go up on that cross on Jesus in the same way we have to recognize that he brought that thing already to the cross 
It's already over. There, there is no, there is no uh, power unless we give it power. And so I feel like sometimes, and this is, it, it's, it's a, a totally different way of seeing our issues and our weaknesses and our frailty and failure. But I'm asking you this morning to ask, sometimes if you just can't, I can't, I can't figure this out. This is where just that simple prayer, Holy Spirit, help me. Yeah. And the prophetic word that comes to you via the Holy Spirit is, what is the Father's heart on this? What's the strategy that needs to be taken here? Okay, I get it. Just say the name of Jesus. No. Begin to superimpose the name of Jesus on your life, on that bondage, on that brokenness, over those chains, and allow him to do his thing. You can't do it. You can't figure it out. You weren't meant to. You won't get it right. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Come on, let's sing this through one time before we go here. Jesus, Jesus. I belong to Jesus I am not my own I belong to Jesus Heaven is my home It's in you. Come on, say I belong to Jesus I am not my own I take your name sing this together he leads me say he leads me with his spirit oh, and to his hand I hold oh yes I do yeah, yeah. apart from him I'll stumble yeah so with him now so, so with him I will go
We're headed for his kingdom And through us now it comes mm, We give it all back A thousand thrones for surrender Come on, tell him They're forsaken for his love Amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. All right, we'll see you next week or at Smith Mills Camp one night this week. Love you. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.